0: Hello, and Merry Christmas, everyone. We are glad that you are back this week here at the 1450 Podcast for the continuation of our special December series. I hope that everyone is having a wonderful time with their families today, and we are very thankful that you are taking time to listen to us. This week, we'll be looking at Unto You is Born, a Savior. We hope that this series has been a blessing to you as much as it has been to us in bringing it to you. This is the last episode for the year, and the last one until we start a new series in the early months of the new year. If you can, please share this podcast on your social media pages and help get us more people to listen and subscribe to help spread the message of God's Word. Visit the church's website at www.gracebiblechurch-fw.com to find resources for your studies and see what God's plan and purpose for us is today in this world. You can also find years worth of lesson audio from Sunday school, Sunday mornings and evenings to our annual Bible conferences also. You may find videos of our lessons by visiting youtube.com and search for Grace Bible Church Fort Worth. Subscribe to receive notifications of new videos that are released. You can follow us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash FW. Like and follow us there, where we will update you on our weekly lessons, new events that the church hosts, and first of the week. While on Facebook, visit the 1450 Podcast, and like and follow us as well. We will update you on various lessons and let you know when the newest podcast episodes are available. You can find our main podcast page at www.soundcloud.com slash FW. We have multiple series available for you, along with links to all our other website pages as well. We'd also like to give a special thanks to SoundCloud for hosting this podcast. Now let's go ahead and finish off this Christmas Day with Unto You Was Born, A Savior.
1: Christmas has, uh, over the years, become, it seems like, increasingly commercial uh, store sales, decorations, light shows, parties, gifts, Santa Claus is everywhere we look, and so forth. And, and the world certainly celebrates Christmas. I think it's interesting that you'll even hear, you know, uh, the singing of uh, Christmas songs, Christmas carols. And uh, I, I did a message several years ago on you know the words to Christmas carols. If the world really understood and thought about what they were singing, they'd get a wonderful message because there's so much in those carols, and it's the ones we sang this morning. Just think about the words that we sang this morning and, and all the truth that's there about uh, our, our wonderful Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I know one of the very popular Christmas songs these days is Mary, Did You Know? And uh, we hear that quite often. Sometimes when you hear a song too often, you, uh, you you become kind of accustomed to it, and you don't really think about it. That's got a lot of amazing truth in it, you know. And that's wonderful. When I hear that song, uh, it was sung on The Voice this year. I mean, anybody listens to The Voice, and it was it was sung, and and thousands I and mean well, thousands, millions of people heard that. Uh, you know, you just hope that that would be used of, of the Lord to actually reach some with the gospel of Jesus Christ, so we just never know. So the world certainly celebrates Christmas, sings the songs and carols, and most of them know that we're commemorating the birth of Jesus. People know that. They understand what that's about. They've heard enough about it. Uh, but most people don't know, the majority of the people in the world don't really know the true meaning of Christmas. And you know, uh, one of my, when well, I think one of the best responses to that question is uh, found in a uh, an old Christmas movie. Uh it used to be my favorite Christmas movie. Um and, and that's Charlie Brown Christmas. Simple little thing, a cartoon movie. Uh you know, about thirty minutes long, and uh uh it, it, it hits it basically and it's still relevant today. I mean you watch it and it's just as relevant today as it was when it first came out uh many, many years ago. And but Charlie Brown is bothered himself by the commercialization of Christmas. Uh you know, his friends are all caught up in that. His sister Sally is all caught up in that. Even his dog Snoopy is caught up in the commercialization of Christmas and decorating with lights and wanting presents. I still remember Sally saying, you know, uh, she sends this letter to Santa Claus and saying, you know, if if you get in a bind, just send cash, preferably tens and twenties, you know. (laughs) That's still relevant. That's still a lot of money, tens and twenties, you know. And so uh, he gets involved in this Christmas pageant. And, uh, they, you know, they want to get the spirit of Christmas, and so they'd send him out to buy a tree, and he comes back with this pretty, pretty pathetic looking little tree, and, and everybody criticizes him and says he's, you know, pulled another Charlie Brown. The, all the Charlie Browns in the world, he's the Charlie Browniest, that type of thing. And so, uh, he's, a, he's frustrated, in great frustration. He just calls and asks out, isn't there anybody who knows what Christmas is all about? And Linus walks forward, dragging his blanket with him, comes to the center of the stage, asks for the lights, And he quotes this passage from Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. He finishes and he walks over to Charlie Brown and he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Years and years ago, we saw that on TV. still see it on TV. I'm amazed that they still let him play it. I really am, what's going on in our world today. But it still hits that that's what Christmas is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. I want you to look at that passage in Luke chapter 2 with me. The two key verses are verses 10 and 11. The words of the angel to the shepherds, words of comfort. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. And they had just seen a multitude of the heavenly host there before them, the, you know, the, the uh, appearing, and they were greatly afraid. Don't be afraid, the angel said, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good tidings or glad tidings. It's the word basically for gospel. It's good news. I bring you good news. Good news which will be, bring, bring or mean great joy. And it's for all people. It's to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What's the good news? The good news is who was born that day. The one who was born that day. He was the Christ. He was the Christ. Uh, He was Israel's promised Messiah. The one anointed to, to be their king. The one anointed by God to rule and reign over that nation. To bring peace and safety and joy to them and rest back in their land to fulfill those promises made to David so many years ago. But it's not just your Messiah. It's not just the Christ. It is Christ the Lord. This is no mere man. Yes, He's a man. The, the Word became flesh. He was a man dwelling upon this earth. But this is no mere man. This is Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is God in flesh. The you know, the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among men. This is the, this is the Lord uh, God who is here. But more than that, he is the Savior. Unto you is born this day a Savior. A Savior. Born in the city of David. Yes, the city of the king. But the one who was born was a Savior. Not a teacher. Not not there's born unto you a teacher. You see, because the greatest need of man was not education. Jesus certainly was a great teacher, was he not? There was no greater teacher than the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we have to understand when we read the gospel accounts that Jesus' teachings are not directed specifically to us. They were written to Jews. They were directed to Jews living in that day. Uh, they were still living under the law. They were anticipating their kingdom, and those teachings were all about the kingdom. But you read through those teachings, and they're beautiful. Uh, they're they're amazing. Jesus' use of parables is one of the greatest things we could ever see. He made it understandable for anybody to understand. You don't have to be a scholar to understand Jesus' teachings. You know, the common man, he, he would use common examples. A fisherman, a field, a farmer. Whatever it was, he, they could understand what he was saying and he brought the spiritual truths down where people could see him. So he was the greatest teacher who ever lived, but he didn't come to teach us how to live. It's not why he came into this world. It doesn't say, unto you is born a role model. You know, we certainly need role models today. The ones that the world seems to point to as role models don't do too good a job and aren't the type of people we really need to look up to. Actresses, politicians, you know, uh, athletes are not the best place to look for role models. Sometimes today, not even preachers. Sadly, and that's that's just not the case. Jesus certainly was a great role model. He lived, his life is the greatest life that's ever been lived. It was the perfect, sinless life. There's a great deal for us to learn from it. But D, Jesus did not come to show us how to live. Our greatest need was not a role model. Wasn't someone to show us how to live? And That's not why he came. He he didn't you know he didn't announce the angel didn't announce under you is born a philosopher. A lot of people like that these days. The love of wisdom. The world loves that. They love wisdom. They love to think that they can know and figure out their own lives and their own destiny and so forth on their own without somebody else's help. Jesus' wisdom is certainly amazing, is it not? There was no one whose wisdom was greater than his. And it was displayed. Every conversation he had, even when he was conversing with the, the doctors of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the, uh, the lawyers, the priests, it didn't matter who it was, his wisdom amazed and confounded them. They were the scholars of their day. Think about the, the encounter Jesus had with Nicodemus at night. Here, Nicodemus was supposed to be a teacher of the law. He comes to Jesus by night, so one, no one will know he's there. And Jesus... You know, uses the same type of illustrations that he uses with the common man, and Nicodemus can't get his eyes off of the common things, the physical things, the material things of life to understand Jesus is teaching you spiritual lessons. Even his wisdom confounded the teachers of Israel. So no one was there. But you know, we didn't. Need, we don't need a philosophy of life. That's not what the world needs. Jesus did not come to give and to provide for us. Here's the philosophy of life by which you can live. That's not what we needed. He was. You know, it didn't announce the coming of a prophet, although certainly Jesus was. Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy chapter 18, a prophet shall arise like like you, Moses, and him you shall hear. And that was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was a prophet. He spoke the word of God. The very words that he spoke were the words that his father gave him to speak and for Israel to hear. And if he had not come and spoken those things... They could have maybe still had excuse for their sins, but they spoke. He spoke the Word of God. They had no excuse for their sins, and His Word will one day judge them when it comes time for the Day of Judgment. But, you know, He didn't come just to reveal the person and pur- purpose of God. He did those things. He did those things. In Christ, we see the person of God. In Christ, He revealed the purpose of God. But that was not the reason. What He announced was the Savior, because that's what the world needed. That's what Israel needed. That's what we need. The world needs a Savior. And yet most people don't see that. Most people don't see the need that they have. They don't understand their need for a Savior. They don't understand what this means. The whole idea of salvation is is foreign to so many people. Saved from what? What are we talking about? They don't know what that means. And they certainly don't understand how this salvation is provided. Even those who are religious in nature and have this concept of salvation uh, are so deluded into thinking that somehow or other their own life, by their own life or their own deeds or their own goodness, they're going to provide salvation for themselves. The Jews thought that. The scribes and Pharisees certainly held on to the works of the law as the means by which they would be made righteous and would be accepted or saved by God in that way. The world thinks much, very very much the same thing. So they don't understand how salvation had to be provided. There was no other way than what we see taking place here with the announcement of this Savior. Israel certainly knew from the Old Testament Scriptures that the Messiah was coming. And the, 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 the Greek word for that is Christ. It's the same word. It means the anointed one. They knew that there was one anointed by God who was coming. And they looked for Him. They looked for His coming. They looked for this coming King. They looked for this one who would bring salvation to them who would bring deliverance to them, who would bring freedom to them. Because for over 600 years, they had been in bondage. They had been in bondage to Gentile nations. It started with Babylon. It went to the Medo-Persians. It went to the Grecians. And at the time they were living, at the time Christ came, they were under Roman rule. You know, in the streets of Jerusalem, Roman soldiers patrolled on a regular basis. There was a Roman governor who directed what would take place in Israel. They had their own leaders, yes, but they had to answer to the Roman governor. There were taxes that had to be paid, Roman taxes. And uh, they collected them. Sometimes there were Roman tax collectors. Sometimes there were hated Jewish tax collectors who did it for the Romans. So they were under oppression of the Romans. And, and for many years, this had been the case. For at least 60 years, that had been the case. They'd been under Roman rule. So uh, they're looking for this Messiah to come because they want deliverance from their enemies. They want redemption. They want freedom. They wanted to be a free nation again. They wanted to have their own king again. And they knew that Messiah was coming and He would be that king. And when He came, He would give them peace. He would give them safety from their enemies. He would give them rest from this oppression. He would bring them back to their land and restore it completely to them. That land promised to Isaac, that land to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, passed down through the generations. That land was promised to them, and they would have it back. Look in Luke chapter one. In Luke chapter one. Zacharias was John the Baptist's father. And after the birth of John, he, uh, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And notice what he spoke about. Look at verse 67. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. As He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. They were looking for that. They were looking for that. Zechariah promised that, uh, prophesied about that very thing. Just as our Old Testament prophets said, we're looking for that. We're waiting for that to happen. When uh, the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary, look at Luke chapter 1, uh, go back with me to verse 31. She was told that she had found favor with God. She was going to conceive and bear a child. Look at verse 31. The angel Gabriel said to her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, that's what's exactly what was promised to David in Second Samuel chapter 7. That there would be a king that would come from his descendants, his seed, who would reign over the, over the house of Israel forever, an eternal kingdom. And so she's told, this child that you're going to bring forth is that very king. He is. He will have the throne of his father David. Mary was of the line of David, so was Joseph. So he was the, the son of David, son of Abraham, the son of David. And so she hears about that same thing. And this, uh, this is the Messiah that the Jews of Jesus' day looked for. A powerful king who would come, a powerful leader and ruler. I'm sure they were looking for a military man, someone who would take charge of the army, a general. This is not a general It's promised. That's not what was coming. Uh, they look for deliverance from Rome and the oppression. And, and look in chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, go down with me to verse 25. When Jesus is eight days old, they take him to the temple to be presented to the Lord. Firstborn son of the family, presented to the Lord according to the law, because he, he was born of a woman, born under the law. And uh, there they met this man named Simeon. He was at the temple. And he had received a message from the Lord that this person was going to be there. He was coming. Look at verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The one who would come and comfort Israel, who would come along beside Israel and be there to comfort and console. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The one anointed by God. Israel's Messiah. He says, for, And so he came by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit led him to come into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. This child was God's salvation for Israel. My eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is a savior not just for Israel. This is a savior for the world. That's what the angels announced. You know, this is this is good news for all people. This is great joy for all people that this child is entered into the world, a Savior. And so we see that. And Joseph's mother, marveled at those things which were spoken of him, of their child, uh, the Lord Jesus. Anna. Anna was there as well. I look at uh, verse 36. There was one Anna who was at the, at the same place, same time. Anna, she was a prophetess, one who spoke for God. And she, she's the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, and she had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. This woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple. She stayed right there by the temple day in, day out. And she she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She's also devout, devout uh, to the serving the Lord. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord, and she spoke of Him to all of those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She spoke of Him. Because this one who came was the Redeemer. She spoke of Him. The redemption in Israel. So it was all there. But when Jesus came, the Jews didn't expect the way He came. The person who came. You know, Mary and Joseph were not rich people. You know, they didn't have a king. Uh, They had the the scribes and Pharisees and the priests were the rulers. They didn't have a king. hadn't had a king sit on the throne for over 600 years. So they didn't have a king and so didn't come to someone sitting in a palace, not even come to someone with a great reputation, came to a, a poor couple. He was a carpenter and he was born in a, a very small, nondescript little village. Yes, it's the city of David, but it's still a small little village, little little town of Bethlehem we sing. And that's exactly what it was. It wasn't a great, powerful place. It wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't the capital city. And he came in that way, and, and he was raised in, you know, by by poor parents, and he had a poor upbringing. He, he became poor. The Scriptures tell us, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor, that we, through his poverty, might be rich. He became poor, literally, physically. Even when he began his public ministry, what did he say? He says, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. and doesn't have a home. So uh, that's not what they expected. You know, he didn't come in. With a grand and glorious entrance. He didn't come in with a powerful retinue behind him. He came in humbly. He, he came in humbly. He took the form of a bondservant. He came in the likeness and appearance of men. And so, Israel, uh, when they saw that, that's not what they wanted. That's not what they expected. That's not what they thought they needed. And so, they were offended at him, they stumbled over that, that rock. He became a stumbling stone to Israel because of how He came. You see, the Old Testament Scriptures gave a, a second view of Christ. Keep your place right here in Luke and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter mentions the work of the Old Testament prophets and speaking about the salvation which had been prophesied that would come. Look at verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10. He says, of this salvation, and here we're talking about the salvation of their souls, of this salvation the prophets, this is the Old Testament prophets. They have inquired. When you inquire, you, you seek and you ask questions. They have inquired and searched carefully, or carefully, or diligently. The ones who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Now what were they questioning? What were they seeking? Se- searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of the Christ and the glories that would follow. You see, the Old Testament prophets were confounded by what they were given to proclaim because there were two very, very different pictures, two very, very different prophecies of the coming of their Messiah. There was a, there was a glorious, powerful, King who was going to come and would deliver them from their enemies and give their land back to them and rule and reign over them for all eternity. That, that was promised and they saw that. And Isaiah saw that. You can read about that in Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 11, chapter 35. It's all there. That It's coming king and what he would do. But you see there's also, they testified beforehand about the sufferings of the Christ. And that didn't fit. Didn't fit for them. Two two pictures of the Christ. Suffering and Glory. And I'm sure they, they question, what does this mean? And when is this going to happen? How is it going to come about? Because they didn't see that part and understand that part about the fact that before Israel's Messiah could return to this earth, before He would return in glory and power to redeem Israel from bondage to the Gentiles, to restore them to their land, to provide for them peace and safety and rest that would last for all eternity, before that would happen, that same Messiah must first suffer and die. Now, why? Again, they didn't understand all of this. It was there in the Scriptures. It was there in the Old Testament Scriptures. The whole issue that has to be dealt with was brought forth in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, it brought disruption to God's plan and purpose. God's plan and purpose for man was He created man in His own own image to have fellowship with Him, to walk and talk with Him. But when they sinned, when they disobeyed God and sinned against God, that fellowship was broken. Man, sinful man, needed a way to be restored to a holy and righteous God. But what had to be dealt with was the sin. The sin of man, the sins of man. And the only way to deal with that was what a righteous God says. The wages of sin, the payment that must be made, the just and righteous payment that must be made for sins is death. Physical death and spiritual death. And the only way to deal with that Other than having us pay for our debt, pay for that debt ourselves. Other than we pay for our sins ourselves and we spend eternity separated from God. The only way God could bring us back to Him was through His Son and our Savior. That aspect of sin and redemption from sin was also talked about. Go back with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. This is Zacharias' prophecy again. The first part of the prophecy speaks very clearly about Redemption from enemies, salvation and deliverance from enemies, the glory of the Messiah. But look with me at verse 76. Speaking about his son, John the Baptist, he says, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Now look at the next statement. By the remission of of their sins. You see, there's going to be no salvation for that nation as far as deliverance from their enemies and restoration to their land and their kingdom. That's not going to happen unless we first deal with the issue of what about their sins? How can this be the people of God when they're sinful people? The remission of their sins, to give the knowledge of of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God. God was merciful to His people Israel. God's merciful to us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. We deserve death. We deserve eternal separation from God. We don't get that because God is merciful toward us. He says, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. God Himself, the life. The life Himself. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. He has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our way, our feet into the way of peace. That's the first thing that needs to be established. We need to be in a relationship of peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are brought to Him. He reconciles us to Himself through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simeon alluded to how that would take place. Look in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and go down with me this time to verse 34. After giving the prophecy, Simeon blessed them. Verse 34, Simeon blessed Joseph and Mary. And he said to Mary, his mother, he said, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the judgment of this world. And the word judgment that's used there means the dividing point. When He went to the cross of Calvary, He became the dividing point for the world. Everybody is divided over that issue of who Jesus Christ is and what He accomplished on that cross. They're divided in a sense. Some believe, some understand and hear and believe, and some do not. Some reject. And many in Israel would fall. Many in Israel would rise it, at that dividing point. He was destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign, he says, which will be spoken against. Will be spoken against. And he tells her, he says, yes, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary, this is going to be a sword that's going to pierce through your very soul. And I think that happened when she stood at the foot of the cross and she looked up at her son, her firstborn son, this special child that she was blessed as she found favor from God to bring into this world, she looked up and saw Him suffering, saw the, the you know going through the, the misery of crucifixion, the crown of thorns, the sign over His head, the shame, the taunts. She heard it all. She saw it all, the foot of the cross, and no doubt a sword pierced through her to see that happen to her child, to her child. And to the one that she had come to know, I think, was the Lord was the Lord. And so that's talks about, I think, that you know, that all of this was done that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He alludes to doesn't give definite, you know, prophecies, but he alludes to the fact that this child's gonna suffer. Suffer and die for sins. Anna's mention of redemption, I think, also points to the need that that Israel had to be freed, to be released from the bondage of sin. Hebrews chapter two, verses fourteen and fifteen said so that's why Jesus took, you know, partook of flesh and blood. Just as the children are flesh and blood, He partook of the same, that He might taste death for every man. That He, by His death on the Calvary, by His death on the cross, might destroy, might render powerless the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might release those who all their lifetime were subject to bondage. He brought freedom and release from the bondage of sin and death by His death on Calvary and providing for that life to come. The The angel who spoke to Mary's espoused husband Joseph Made it quite plain when he told Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus. That wasn't Joseph's name. He didn't, you know, it wasn't named after his father or anything like that. You will call his name Jesus. This is a message from God. The word Jesus means Jehovah saves. Here is the idea of salvation because you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Not from their enemies, although he would one day do that as well. He'll save his people from their sins. That's what Christ came to do. How did he accomplish that? He accomplished that by finishing the work which the Father sent him to do. Look in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 18. Jesus Christ, when he died on that Christ cross, died on our behalf for us for our sins and it's, this verse tells us for Christ also suffered once for sins that was his death on Calvary the just for the unjust that's the only reason this makes sense the only way that this could have any effect at all is if the one who died for the others himself was perfect and sinless and righteous and just and Jesus Christ was he could die for us the just dying for us the unjust all that He might bring us to God. That He might reconcile us and bring us back into a relationship with God. That relationship that was broken in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And when that sin and that death passed upon all men, that is restored. That reconciliation is accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. Being put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit. By His death on Calvary for our sins and by His resurrection. That's the good news. That's the gospel. You know, at Christmas, people focus on giving and receiving gifts. That's the big deal. I mean, the stores are celebrating Christmas because it's kind of their biggest time of year, you know, back before Thanksgiving ever hits. As soon as Halloween is passed, all of a sudden Christmas shopping becomes the thing to do, and the stores put out the stuff. And, you know, we we see that emphasized over and over again. But, you know, it's only in the Scriptures that we find the greatest gift that was ever given. And you know the verses. John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that He what? That He gave. He gave the greatest gift. He gave His only begotten Son. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The greatest gift ever given. I have no problem with thinking about Christmas and thinking about the birth of Christ and the idea of uh, sharing gifts. I think that's fine to share gifts and love with your family and all that But sometimes uh, we, even as Christians, get caught up so much in that part of it that we forget we have already received the greatest gift there is. And that is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a gift is given by God. That's grace. By by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's God's gift to us. But think about this. What do you have to do to actually experience the joy of a gift? you got to receive it. You've got to receive it. And that's what God has offered to us. He has offered this gift to all men. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he, he paid the ransom for all. He became a ransom for all men. He is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. The gift is available to all, to any who will put their faith. Whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the glad, That's the glad tidings. That's the the great joy that we find, is the great joy in knowing that God has given us life. We no longer have to be a part of the world in sin and error pining. That's a good description. That song really gives a good description of the world. In sin and error pining. It was true before Christ came. It's still true today. But they don't have to be that way. They don't have to be in sin. They don't have to remain in error. The truth is here in God's Word. The gift has been given. The gift is the finished work of Jesus Christ Christ a gift available to those who will receive it. How do we receive it? Simple. It's very simple. You receive it by faith. You believe. You tr- put your faith and trust in Christ and what He accomplished for you. And by doing so, you receive the gift of eternal life. The question we have to ask is: Have you? What you have to ask yourself this morning. You know, I, I most of you I've known for many many years, uh, and but you don't. I learned several years ago at a winter retreat that. don't make assumptions. don't make assumptions about people's spiritual condition. Maybe you've never trusted Christ. Maybe you've come to this church for years, but you've never trusted Christ as Savior. You've never received the gift of eternal life. I would urge you today, this very day, as you think about these things and think soberly about these things, you need to make that decision today if you never have. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Believe in Him. Believe in what He's accomplished for you and receive this gift of eternal life. As Linus told Charlie Brown, this is what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for the gift of life You've given us through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us not to lose sight of that. We know, Father, we need to be thankful for the coming of our Savior each and every day of the year, to be thankful for what He came to accomplish, that He came to die on the cross for us, for our sins. He came to rise again unto eternal life and to give life to all who put their faith and trust in Him. May we take this wonderful good news, this, these glad tidings, and during this Christmas season, may we share those with others who need to hear it as well. With those who have never trusted Christ, those family, friends, people that we meet uh, on the street even, may we be willing and ready to share the truth when the opportunity presents itself. That they may rejoice in this wonderful gift, a gift of Christmas. We pray in Christ's name and for His name. Amen.
0: Thank you all once again for listening, and from all of us here at the 1450 Podcast and Grace Bible Church, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. As I said before, we'll be taking a break for a bit to bring in the new year and to prep for the next series of lessons. We will be announcing the newest series here in a few weeks, so stay tuned to find out more. I've been your host, Craig Gardner, wishing you the best, and until next time, may the Lord bless you and all of your family. Happy holidays.